Welcome back to Channel 4's Unreported World podcast. This week, Aidan Hartley travels to eastern Congo to witness the remarkable work of one man who liberates the child soldiers who've been forced to fight in one of the world's longest-running conflicts. Tranquility is deceptive. Eastern Congo has become one of the world's deadliest battlegrounds. Its mountains and dense forests are infiltrated by armed groups in a state of near continuous rebellion. And we've come to witness a rescue mission. We're here on the slopes of the Mountains of the Moon looking for a rebel army. The man who's guiding us works to free child soldiers from the ranks of militias fighting in this war. Why have we stopped here? Normally they are living on the mountain, the big mountain, and they want to meet us here. Henri Ladi runs a small charity in the Congolese province of North Kivu. A few years ago, he himself was part of a rebel group, but now he's working to liberate child soldiers. Now, you've been negotiating with these rebels. What do you hope to achieve today? Um, I have two objectives. First is to talk to them about peace, and second is to ask them if they can release children, and then we can take care for those children. This have they the... said that they have children? Yeah, they said that they have children. But we we became aware of movement in the undergrowth around us. Then a lone figure appeared. The fighter was barely out of his teens, and he refused to give his name. But he did say he was from the ADF Nalu, a rebel group from neighbouring Uganda, hiding out in the Congolese hills. The fighter told Henri there were lots of child soldiers in his rebel army's ranks, and many of them forcibly recruited. They need clothes, they also need medicine, because uh, he looks very thin and he says there are a lot of sick people in the forest. Amongst them are child soldiers. He told Henri he'd take his request to release the children to his superiors and that he should wait for a call. And then he disappeared back into the forest. His caution was hardly surprising. After all, we weren't the only strangers looking to make contact with the rebel ADF. A few miles down the road from the site of our secret meeting, we came across a huge force of Congo's National Army. They were launching an offensive. Its objective, according to the colonel in charge, was to flush out the very group we had just met, the ADF. ADF Nalu must leave the bush. The Congolese government is willing to send them home. We're told that ADF rebels kidnap a lot of Congolese children and put them in their ranks and force them to fight. Is that true? It is true. It's true. It's true. It's true. These people are criminals. They rape and kill and involved in forced labour. We were close to the front line of a vicious jungle war 
which has already lasted 15 years and claimed countless lives. And these government troops were taking on a rebel army whose ranks were swelled by forcibly recruited kids. It's chilling to think that there are child soldiers amongst those guerrillas who are going to be attacked by these men. A few days later, as government troops spread across the hills and forests of North Kivu, Henri received the call he'd been waiting for from the ADF. What have the rebels told you today? Uh, they promised us to release some children today, and uh, this is why we are in the way to go to the forest. What condition do you think these children are going to be in? Um, normally, the condition is very bad because uh, children are suffering. They are turned to be killers, and they don't have food, they don't have anything. Henri told us it wasn't the first time he'd risked his life to liberate children from rebel territory, but his determination was rooted in his own experience of Congo's civil war. A lot of my family were killed. Father, brothers, uncles and friends. I did a lot of bad things to people. I wanted to join the rebels and kill people. So what made you change? My wife. We were starting a family. I could have been arrested and jailed. These days, I prefer helping people to leave the rebels. We're going into the Ituri forest. This is thick rainforest. And this is the sort of area where the militia armies are able to move around out of the reach of the government military. a group of people in the forest armed with bows and arrows and they're all around us. Now we're being asked to advance. And I sense that a larger number of people are waiting for us up ahead. After walking several kilometers, we stopped at a clearing. Fighters with primitive weapons surrounded us on all sides. For some minutes, we feared being taken hostage, or worse. But then, among the trees, we caught our first glimpse of what we had come here for. A child soldier, armed with a bow. Then we moved on guided by another child fighter. Into a small camp. We were astonished to find around a dozen children, some of them extremely young. 
There followed a period of tense waiting. Then suddenly one of the rebel commanders began a bizarre ritual. The slaps and punches, Henri told us, were a good sign. It's the second time I've seen this ceremony. It's about getting the kids to swear they are no longer fighters. Their leader has told them to drop their weapons and also their camouflage. He says only the adults are to remain with their weapons. And you can see here they've dropped these poison-tipped arrows together with their magic charms. Henri appeared particularly concerned about the youngest in the group. Children are mistreated and waste their lives in armed groups. I want to give them back a normal life. I want them to have a lasting relationship with their parents. We followed the children as Henri led them out of the jungle. He told us they'd be taken back to town, where he and his colleagues would try to find their parents or lodge them with foster carers. The town of Beni in North Kivu. The children claimed it was the first night in some time they had spent away from the forest in a proper bed with a change of clothes. Henri's assistant, Blaise, tried to find out where the children had originally come from. The youngest told us his fighter's name was Kambale. He thought his real name was Justin, but he didn't seem sure. Where were you born? In the forest. Oh. mama. And your mother? I don't know where she is. What did you do in the forest? I don't remember. Henri told us it often took time for the children to describe what had happened to them. This little boy seems completely lost and confused. He says that he grew up living with the rebels who are on the run and being hunted down by the government army and that this is the only life that he's known until yesterday. Henri told us that many child soldiers come from broken homes. They run away to the forest and drift into the rebels' ranks. The kids are often desperate. They're looking for food or shelter. They go from one militia to another. They're told that they'll make money, that they are defending their country and that foreigners are evil. They're being manipulated. The kids seem catatonic, unable to explain what they've been through. That may be because they've spent most of their lives in the jungle with the rebels on the run. But 
Is this because they're brainwashed? Is it because they're traumatized? They've obviously endured something terrible, but what that is, is unclear to me. We arranged to check up on Justin some days later to see whether Henri had found him a foster family. Goma, the biggest town in North Kivu, headquarters of a massive United Nations operation supposed to bring peace to Eastern Congo. But a focus too for rumors that the rebellion was poised to intensify in advance of Congo's national elections later this year. Even as Henri was trying to liberate child soldiers near the town of Beni, rebels elsewhere in North Kivu, it appeared, were on an aggressive recruitment drive. Our informant came from the town of Kichanga, near Goma. He was too afraid of the rebel recruiters to be identified. They came to collect names. They took people from the streets. In Masisi, 150 boys disappeared. In my area, eight boys have gone missing. One boy was shot for refusing to join up. I took him to hospital, but he died. We drove to Kichanga, 50 kilometers west of Goma. When we got there, we found the schools deserted. This is one of the schools where students were abducted. What we're being told is that between 150 and 200 students just vanished over the last few weeks. Local people told us families were scared of sending children to school after a wave of abductions. They said this was a sign that Eastern Congo's rebel armies were preparing for a new war. In an empty classroom, the parents of one boy told us how he had been snatched weeks before. When we came back from our farm, we were told our son had been taken. He was 16 and just starting secondary school. We thought the war was over, but they're still abducting children. They take your children and nobody helps. If you say anything, they come for you at night and kill you. A hundred kilometers to the north, our guide Henri received another urgent phone call. We've been called to a meeting with a rebel army called the Mai Mai. After several weeks of negotiations, Henri has persuaded them to give up a group of child soldiers. The job of releasing kids is full of risks for Henri and his colleagues. And it's hard for child soldiers to recover from what they've suffered. Children who leave armed groups need to spend time with their families, but they can be dangerous. Their leaders threaten to kill us because we've taken their child soldiers from the forest. 
The Mai Mai are one of the most fearsome of Congo's rebel groups, a self-appointed local protection force, hostile to the government and with a taste for magic. Henri led us into the hills near the town of Batembo, and we waited. Suddenly, we saw movement at the base of the valley. There are 14 kids here. They all have stories that are quite mysterious. They seem quite confused. But one common theme is that they say that they were afraid of being beaten at home after they lost things like goats or a bicycle or they stole money. And so they ran off into the bush and they wound up in the ranks of the Mai Mai. And they were given some kind of medicine that prevented them from returning home. And so their only home became the rebel army. We were surprised to find two little girls in the group, Edwige and 11-year-old Marve. What work do girls do for the militia? We cook and hand out medicine. It seems as if these rebels um, think that the child soldiers give them a special magical power. And so some of them are given the job of doctors, while others are supposed to cast spells on stones that they then throw in battle, which they believe will explode like grenades. Such is the strength of the Mai Mai belief in magic, it even plays a part in liberating children. At the edge of a waterfall, witch doctors working for the Mai Mai rebels led a cleansing ceremony. The children held a cockerel while making an oath never to return to war, and the bird was later sacrificed. We bring those children to the traditional doctor who know how to clean the children from the bad things they had from Mai Mai. According to spiritual issues, now they are ready to go back. Given that it's so difficult to return children like this to normal life, yeah. do you fear that some of them may go back to the bush to become fighters again? Yep. I believe this because if the parents treat them badly, those children can take decision to go back in the bush to, again, because they have food, they have anything, and the commander cannot treat them badly because they are doing good job there in the bush. On the outskirts of the town of Botembo, we arrived at the last address 11-year-old Marve could remember. But there was no one home. Henri asked Marve what she wanted to do, come with him to a foster family or stay and wait. She decided to stay and wait. After their liberation, the greatest challenge is finding children proper care in secure homes, so they're not lured back to the rebels. Marve wasn't the only child freed from the forest that day who might not find their natural family. Others, too, were waiting for foster families. A week later, we returned to the address where we had last seen Marve. The quiet little girl with the sad face was now busy and active. 
and had started to open up to her grandmother, Mama Al-Fasin, about what had happened to her. Her mother was a drunk and Marve went hungry. She ran away to the forest because the rebels promised her meat to eat. What are your plans for her? She'll go to school in September. Right now I'm going to teach her to sew. In time, her grandmother told us, Marve would join the family business as a seamstress in Batembo Market. It's a week since we last saw Justin, and we've come to visit the house where he's staying. He's with a foster family to see how he's getting on. He looks a little happier. Justin was still subdued and withdrawn, but said what he wanted to do most of all was play football with other kids in the village. Crowds of children have gathered around us outside Justin's house, and that's because we're here. But they're still treating Justin as something of an oddity. Hopefully that will change. He is now out of the forest, and he's no longer a child soldier. But in a sense, his problems are just starting. Congo is a very poor society, and this is the society that he now has to grow up in. Just before we left, Justin got up from his seat and walked shyly out of his front yard. Our thanks to Aidan Hartley. On next week's Unreported World, Jenny Kleeman travels to Nigeria to see how young women are trapped into sex slavery in Europe due to black magic. Until then, make sure you catch up with all the latest from the series at channel4.com slash unreportedworld.